Welcome to the Directors UK podcast. This episode is a directing Grand Slam as Ronaldo Marcus Green discusses his latest film, King Richard, with fellow director Jan Demange. In a fascinating conversation, Ronaldo spoke to Jan about how he first got involved with the film, getting engaged in the writing process, and about how to capture tennis, period detail, and family dynamics on screen. We hope you enjoy the podcast. My brother. <laughs> Rob, long time. Where are you right now, man? Uh, I'm in Baltimore, Baltimore, Maryland. Um, uh, I just finished an HBO series. I'm uh, with David Simon and George Pelicanos called We Own This City and uh, Six Part. That was, that was a beast, 75 days. Uh, but now I'm, in, now I'm in the edit, so that feels good to be on this side. How'd it go? It was good. I'm very happy with the show. You know, I tried to channel my Yan, my Yan Dimash, and, you know, bring back some wire vibes. And it was good, man. I think, uh, you know, I don't know if I was coming off of coming off of the film, but obviously I, I came in feeling a little bit more confident. And 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 I think it just really helped the the, the shoot. Um, yeah, I learned a lot. I learned a lot about, you know, how many locations. We, I mean, it was a beast of a project for sure. Uh, hundreds of locations, hundreds of characters um you know the longest shoot i've ever had to be on um so it, it was a, it was a, a good learning experience but one that i'm uh, i'm very grateful for well congratulations man look i um i love your film it's 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 beautifully made it really is it's like it's the perfect hollywood sort of feel-good movie that's just lands tonally in the right place and i just want to say congratulations massive congratulations i'm uh it's not easy to do and you smashed it, you know? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, it is definitely not easy to do, but uh, I had a lot of good people working, working with me and uh, you know, I'm re- really glad it, it turned out the way it did. Yeah. I mean, really it's beautifully directed. So we're just going to go linearly, right. And to a certain extent, no, you know, we'll let it just flow, but let's just start with when you first got the script, because this is essentially, it was essentially an open directing assignment, right. And, uh, and I, I actually read one of the early drafts and it, was, it, it feels like it changed significantly. So I'd love to know what first attracted you to the project, the themes. I feel like knowing you a bit, it feels like the themes of the father from what I know of you in your first film, what you shared. And, and then we'll talk about how, what you brought to it and how you steered it. Because it, it's clear to me, people think on these open directors and assignments, directors just tell them and shoot the pages. But... I presume you influenced a draft or two. Uh, absolutely. So when I first got the script, it was really one of those like Hollywood moments where four different people who weren't my agent slipped me the script. And I was like, what is this thing, King Richard? And why does everybody think that I'm right for it? It also came with the caveat that I probably wasn't first in line, but read it just in case and you can make a make a play for it. And so I read it and I thought, look, it was you know, I thought it was a very good script, at least in terms of the story. I thought the story was great, right? You're you're following the Williams sisters, but but not, you know, at, at a young age. So it was, it was this Genesis story, which I thought was kind of cool, sort of the making of Venus and Serena Williams, you know, and then this other, you know, perspective that I didn't know about. I didn't really know anything about Richard Williams. I was very close to my father. Um, you know, rest his soul, he's not here, but my dad thought he was raising a major league baseball player. So I, I had a very, similar, me. <laughs> you know, I had a very similar upbringing where I was on the baseball field, like the first third of my life, my brother and, and I, you know, and I, I took it pretty far. I had two major league tryouts. I didn't make it. And then I had to go get another career. 
But I really like the father, the essential, you know, he's such an essential character, Richard Williams. He wears these short shorts. Like that was my dad. Like he was, he was a rough dude who like was, you know, pretty, you know, who could have been misunderstood by the outside world. You know, if you, if you Google Richard Williams, you, you see this outspoken sort of person who was very controversial in the news. But to us, you know, he was just dad. He was a black father raising his kids and trying to protect his children. And I knew that story very well. So I thought, okay, like, that's what I definitely latched on to when I, when I read the script. Look, I, I, I called my agent and said, hey, how come you didn't send this to me? And at the time, uh, they, didn't, they hadn't had the life rights. Uh, they didn't get the, the rights to the movie. And so I said, okay, look, I'm not going to make, you know, I wouldn't, you know, even try to make a movie without the consent of the family. So let me know once that happens, if it happens, and if I could, uh, if I could pitch for it. Sure enough, it went quiet, didn't hear anything, was like, well, I guess I, I missed out on that opportunity. And uh, a couple, you know, a couple, couple months later, I got a phone call and uh, saying, you know, would I be interested, you know, sort of interest, what was my interest level? And I said, hey, I'm getting ready to go do another movie, <laughs> you know, so I, don't, I think I'm out of the running. You know, I thought I, I, I thought I had gotten out of the running because I took another film. Fast forward, I'm in the final, you know, weeks of, of my sophomore film, Good Joe Bell, and I get a meeting with Warner Brothers um, to pitch on that script. And when I went into it, like you, man, like you said, I, I never saw myself as a director for hire. I always thought, you know, like I can bring a vision or I can bring something to the project. So I always pitch it as a writer. So when I came in, I talked about what I thought I can do to the script to, to help, you know, to help it get to that next level. The first draft of the script, although it was great, it had flashbacks. And that was a big part of the, the, first, um, the first draft. And you know, Will's character had gone to Shreveport and, and it was all this backstory. And I thought as, as important as that information is, I really didn't want to see it in flashback form. So that was part of my, my first pitch. Obviously, the personal connection, being an athlete growing up on the court, my father growing up in a rough neighborhood, all of those things I felt like I had an unbreakable bond with my brother, the same with Venus and Serena. So I felt like I had really connected to that part. Um, and then and then, you know, sort of my vision for sort of the the, you know, making a different version of the script. And I pitched that scored me a meeting with Will. So I didn't realize it was, it was that way. It was studio and then Will. <laughs> and so Will was sort of the final step in that process. And of course I walk into my meeting with Will and it's the first time I'm meeting, honestly, like a, a, an actor of his caliber. And I, I didn't know what I should bring. So I bring a PowerPoint presentation, cookies. <laughs> I'm not going to win this guy over. Uh, so I was like, you know what? I'm just going to bring myself. I'm just going to, you know, I rocked up in a hoodie, you know, and some jeans and just, you know, no presentation and just said, look, I'm just going to, I'm just going to talk to Will and see if we connect as human beings. He's a dude from Philly. Let's see if we connect. And, and sure enough, we did, you know, I've sort of pitched that version of, you know, my version of the movie we connected, but look, it was all poker faces. Like Will was not like, great job. See, it. <laughs> you know, you know, I felt like there were five directors probably waiting behind me to, to meet him, you know, right after I left the room. But uh, yeah, like a week later, I got the call saying, you know, I had gotten a job. And then, of course, as you know, that's where the real work begins. You know, that's yeah. that, that's where it begins. You know, I'd, love, I'd love to talk a bit about that because I, you know, I read one of the drafts that it was knocking about and I feel like you had a vision for it and you clearly steered it and put your stamp on it and you authored it. You know, and I do think this is an authored film by you, I have to say. Um, so how did it work, right, working with the writer? Did you, have, did you and Zach, I see that you and Zach are now doing Marley together, the Bob Marley bio, so I presume 
it was a happy relationship. It was it was good. Look, I think Zach, it was pro- it was his biggest script too. And I think for him, you know, he was just so happy to have gotten to that point and, and, and it was great. And, and one of the first things I said to him is, look, I don't want a writing credit on this film. I'm not interested in that. I'm interested in making the best film possible. And as a director, it's my job to do a pass regardless. And if you want to stay involved, I would like you involved. And, and, and that's kind of how we cleared the, like we cleared any potential tension of any of that. I said, look, I'm not, I'm not going after anything here. I want the best movie. And, and he was game from, from very early on, knowing that changes were going to have to happen. I actually didn't know he was going to remain involved during, you know, during uh, prep and, and production and all of those things, but he did. And, and it was great to have him because I think there were so many conversations with the cast, the actors, um, so many rehearsal sessions that he was there to be able to basically be able to pump those pages out. Um, and that was an amazing process for me to be able to have the writer with me and then think things through and talk about that. I think probably the the largest contribution early on was the discovery of sort of the family. It, it Obviously, it centered on Richard's journey. Um, but as we started talking to family members, I started to like understand that, wait, it was five girls, not two. And yeah. I started to hear their stories about five girls in the VW bus, five girls in the bedroom, five girls at the court. And I said, now, this is really interesting because it's a dimension that we didn't have in, in the initial sort of, um, you know, drafts of the script. And I said, like, th- that traveling band thing is great because it's true. You know, the, their older sisters, Venus and Serena's older sisters were picking up balls and hanging signs. And I, I said, like, this has to be in this has to be in the movie. We have to represent that. They should be going everywhere together. And then, of course, Orisine, the matriarch of the family, I think was a was a big development that that really happened over the course, because um, I think what we came to discover was that she was a full time coach as well as a mother. And th- it was this extra layer, I think, that really helped to, to, to bring nuance to that character. She really added sort of the spine to the film in a lot of ways. And then it gave Will like real you know, it gave, it gave him moments to, to, you know, someone to, to, to battle with, you know, and, and not only the coaches, but at home and the, and the family and all these things, it, it really added another layer. So I think the, that was really the, the, the main focus of my contributions early on was how to include the family because I, I felt like it was a family's journey um, and how to include the mom, you know, how, how to really make her feel like part of the fabric of it and not, not an addendum to Richard's story. She's very much, it was a choice to remain, um, it was a choice to remain in the background. Richard's front facing, but she, you know, she chooses to not be in front of the camera. Yeah. And I think th- those elements really, really, really help shape, I think, what 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 the movie is. Well, I think, you know, you did a wonderful job and it's like what, what makes the film so rich because, you know, you, you kind of refocused it on, on the women's story a bit more and uh, sort of, you know, address the balance, I should say. And, and it's, it's incredible. I, I think it's so warm, the moments with the family. Um, so, so did you, when you say you did a part, the story about the snoring sound, it's like my mother's dog on the sofa. I'm dog sitting for the um, old dog. The, the, um, when you say you did a pass, you you're not going after the credit. And I, I, and I love that because that's, I never want to write a credit. I just want the script. It's like incumbent on us to make sure we get the best script we can as director and, and not seek a credit. But like, did you actually physically do a pass? So like every conversation I would have, we'd have meetings. So when I first started, when I first started meeting, it was really meeting with my DP, Robert Ellswit, who 
obviously is a master of the craft, uh, you know, shot there will be blood and, and a number of other films, Magnolia, Boogie Nights, uh, just, just a, 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 you know, tremendous talent and, and include. And so as we started breaking down the script and thinking about how we were going to shoot it, all of these questions came up. What are we going to do here? How are we going to shoot this? All, just all the questions about the drama in the movie. And that led to ideas for the script. And then once I had those ideas or ideas to pitch to Zach, then I would say, okay, hey, Zach, I've thought about this. What do you think? And it became a conversation. Oh, that's cool. I like that. That's really great. Let me include that. So that was one sort of process of, of the script writing. And then, of course, simultaneously, when I was reading my DP, I also started meeting with the actors, Will being, you know, obviously the first person that I spent a lot of time breaking down the script. The first time I went to Will's, uh, Will's uh, production company, Westbrook, he had the entire script in index form, like on Windows, just like this. So the entire script just on index cards and they were all color coded. And it was just the header and then the uh, emotional in beat of the scene or the emotional intention. And, you know, so most of the cards were white and there were a few that were green, pink and orange. And I was like, what, like, what do the pink ones mean? Oh, well, those are the ones that are fuzzy for me. And, and so we, we started to like I started to understand my actor's process, but also understand where in the script were moments that were not super clear with where things weren't adding up or so. And, and there were very few, but there were a few moments. But of course, as you know, like we're doctors to a certain degree, someone tells you that the pain is in the shoulder. But that's not where that's not where it starts. Right. It usually starts somewhere else. They're feeling it here, but the pain is somewhere else. It's, it's up to us to investigate that. And I started that that was part of the process is, OK, where's the OK, he's feeling pain. And where, where do I where do I have to look? Where, why is that not, either the scene's not paying off? The emotional scene is not paying off because it, it happened somewhere earlier. And so that's how we kind of started was just working through those scenes and then working with Zach to really come up with ideas or come up with strategies or move certain scenes from interiors to exteriors. Um, and that really happened during, a, a lot of that happened during the prep process. I love that. So it's safe to say the, docu the, the script was a constantly evolving document, even during the shoot. A hundred percent. And especially during, uh, during quarantine. So we shot for three weeks. Uh, we started in March, we shot for three weeks and then we shut down, uh, once COVID hit and we shut down for almost nearly six months. Wow. Did you and edit? So we did, we had, and, and we, we actually were fortunate that we shot chronologically. So I essentially had the first act of my movie wow. baked in. And so it informed so much more like the junior section we hadn't shot yet. And so it was really sort of figuring out, okay, like we need this much more Venus or we really need her to kind of come into her own. And so I had a second prep period really, because I, you, you know, the, the first two months shut down. The first two, yeah, it was, it was, it felt like in Yorotsu, like the girls grew like an inch and a half during that time, you know, like it's kind of the way most movies should be made, but but, you know, we, we, we sort of try to take advantage of that time. Look, the first two months, the whole world was upside down. I've got kids. I had a family. I didn't know what was going to happen. But after that, you say, OK, how can we do this safely, whether it's Zooms and, and have conversations? And fortunately for me, I moved next to Robert Ellswood. So I was very close. And Robert and I would get together several times a week and really try to use that extra prep time. And, and the whole junior section, the whole third act of the film really started to open up. because. 
as you said, it felt very intentional. Like the the junior section used to be a montage. It was just sort yeah. of like a yeah, exactly. Huh. It was edit. It was just a montage, right? So like you you grew grew it out. Yeah, and that was the thing. Like, okay, well, it's just a montage in a passage of time, but how can we use it to tell Richard's story, right? How can we use it to tell the the story of the girls? And, you know, the, the, the coaching montage with mom, all of that stuff really, really changed. And that, that all happened during that second prep because we didn't have enough time in the first time. And then that second time really opened up that section of the film, uh, allowed for the storytelling. You know, it wasn't just tennis. It was how the tennis was informing the drama in the movie. I was less interested in making a tennis film. This was a movie about a family. It was a movie about, about a father that was trying to protect his daughter's um, from outside influences. And yes, we need to see the tennis and we need to see that their tennis is evolving. And that's, you know, we, we start doing that obviously from the courts of Compton to how she goes 63 and 0, and you can see the skills starting to build. But again, it's, it's more about what's happening with that family. What is the success doing to them? Um, and then all of the tennis is hopefully informing that drama rather than the other way around. Well, I think, you know, it really works. It's, it's beautifully put together. And I you, you mentioned Robert a few times. So, I, I know, you know, let's go into prep. Like, so you crewed up and it feels to me like, you know, it's always about casting, isn't it? It's not just people you cast in front of the camera. It's it's the heads of the department. And I see you picked, you didn't go back to collaborate through the first films. It feels like there was a kind of wisdom in your casting with your editor, your production designer, the costume designer, and of course, the great Robert Ellsworth. Like, he's just some, you know, post-trunk love I love. You know, he, for those that don't know, Google him, you know, uh, Thomas Anderson's early collaborator and most significant collaborator from, from like, Hard Eight all the way to uh, There Will Be Blood. Um, how, why did you land on Robert? So, you know, my first film, Monsters and Men, uh, which I, which premiered at Sundance in 2018, the summer before, I actually took that, I took my project to the, to the Sundance Lab. And if, for those of you who don't know, the Sundance Lab is essentially a playground, you know, for filmmakers. You get, you get five weeks in, in Utah to essentially workshop your film. Um, you get to direct five scenes from your movie and you get to, uh, you know, uh, spend a week dissecting the script. And there are advisors uh, at the lab that have been appointed by Sundance. And Robert so happened to be an advisor that year. So I met him organically. Uh, Pam Martin, who was an editor on my film, was, a, was an advisor that year. So I met them both with my first film um, during that summer. And of course, I was like, hey, I was that indie director with that little movie. Like, now I have a big movie starring Will Smith. Would you be interested? And I think, obviously, there's nothing better for them to say, hey, one of the students from the lab you know, really came full circle and is now doing a studio movie and one of importance. And, and that was obviously of int intrigue to both of them. And I think they responded to my, my hustle um, and they both responded to my first film. You know, I, I, I wrote them an email. Hey, you know, I was definitely hustling, man. I mean, I think I was, that was part of me. It was like, I didn't know I was going to be able to get somebody of their caliber, but um, they both responded. Obviously it was a big movie um, and, and, and that was it. Uh, Wynn Thomas uh, was my production designer uh, at NYU. When I studied on, at NYU, he came into Spike Lee's class 
I remember meeting him then. So I had well, his email. I mean, as legends, a legend. I just reached out to him. So yeah, all of another the, one that you know, to Google. It was all through these, all through you know, events like this. I, I met someone organically. It happened. They were they came top of mind. And I reached out personally. It didn't feel like it was coming from the studio. It felt like, hey, this is a director that's hand-selected. Look, Malcolm X was one of my favorite movies. I was doing a period piece. I knew that I needed somebody with an exceptional knowledge of what it was like growing up in the 80s in Compton and what that era looked like and someone to help you with those storytelling. Look, I mean, that's 30 plus years of experience that I'm getting. So when I went to the house, of course, when I first saw the Williams house, oh, we have to shoot here. Like, this is the real house that they grew up in. He was like, yeah, no, you don't have to shoot. <laughs> you know, like, this is too small. You can't move cameras around. And there's lots of fences on this block, you know? So, so I think he was able to like open my, my mind to other possibilities. Like, okay, we can, we can take the fabric of this house and the essence of this house, but put it, you know, put it in a different space that allows you access for story, telling a story. And in a perfect example in our movie where Oracine's character walks across the street, she doesn't have to walk through barricades of fences. And I think, you know, yes, if we stay truthful to that block, I think, you know, there were it would have been just a camera nightmare to get through those situations. So I think those were those were things that really, really helped. And, and I had really, really, you know, uh, talented folks to help me uh, help me. Yeah. achieve. I, I could so relate to that. Like when I first did the 71, I was the first conversation was like, we have to shoot this in Belfast or I won't do it. <laughs> Cut to I shot it in Sheffield <laughs> because <laughs> Belfast now doesn't, just doesn't do it justice. It looks like Jet Belfast back in the day. So I was going to ask, did you shoot, and I want to carry on on Robert Ellsworth for a bit, but did you shoot Compton for Compton out of interest? We shot certain areas of Compton, but then there were neighboring towns that we, we ended up shooting in. I think the actual tennis courts were a town over. I'm, I'm forgetting the name of it now, but it wasn't quite in Compton. But we certainly shot certain streets in Compton and we shot Compton for a lot, but uh, but we were in the neighboring sort of neighboring, neighboring towns. So predominantly in LA shoot? Yeah, predominantly LA, like all of the Florida bits right. are shot in right. LA, Calabasas and... You know, up, up, you know, up, up north, and uh, and then the the final matches in the film are shot shot in Southern California. Macy's Academy is shot in you know shot in Irvine. Um, just we you know we obviously use foliage and some some special effects to help us uh, achieve the Florida. Okay, let's go back to the process. So you got so who was who came on first? Did you was it Wing the production designer or Robert? Because usually the production designer comes on right and you start scouting. Usually, but in this case it was Robert because. Um, no. So he was like, yeah, yeah, it was immediate. And of course, look, I, I was like, I just got Robert Ellsworth. I don't even know what that means, but I'm going to go and just, <laughs> yeah, I'm just going to go soak this up. So of course I was in New York. I flew to LA. I didn't know where to live in LA, but I was like, Robert, where do you live? Mar Vista? Like I went to the, I was 10 minutes. I'm going to move 10 minutes within Robert. And we just started dating. Like, you know, look, what I loved most about Robert was his energy. Like here's, a, here's someone that's 71 years old, but literally is a teenager goes to the movies several times a week. And and just his joy for cinema is, is like nobody else. Where where I look at, you know, I look at the movies and I'm like, oh, I don't know if I'm gonna like that or I'll, maybe I'll go see that. Like he just sees everything. And I'm like, wait, so you what do you mean you just watch everything? Like literally watches everything. So there's not there's nothing that's he doesn't view films like I like it or I don't like it or I'm gonna not see that. Yeah, and so a very I, diet, a very diet. Like it yeah, kinda, it's just a varying diet. He just eats it all, and, and and so I just started eating it all, you know. And with Robert, actually, one of the first movies we went to was uh, to see 1917, and and Barry Jenkins was coming out of the out of the theater 
And he's like, what are you doing with Robert? I was like, you shoot my next movie. He was like, well, don't fuck it up is what he said, <laughs> what he said to me. So it was cool to see him at Telluride this year. And he was like, Ray, you definitely did not fuck it up. So that that was cool. You know, well, I think I didn't catch it at Telluride, though, I, you know, and um I'm really disappointed I didn't get to see it with a with a big audience. It's just you you absolutely nailed it, and it's so difficult tonally. And I thought Robert did an incredible job. Like the, the blocking and the movement is really beautiful. Um and understated uh, and, and easy to sort of not realize the sophistication of it. Can we talk a little bit to that? Do you, did you, so Robert was coming to the space, picking the spaces with you. Would you talk in the spaces about, would you start talking about movement quite early on? Would you yeah. storyboard or would you? So, put so storyboarding, no, we, we didn't storyboard, but we did too, like with the tennis specifically, we did do some pre-visualization. So we, you know, we got some tennis doubles. We went on the court and then we just tried a bunch of stuff. I watched every tennis movie that was ever made. And my biggest thing was like, I don't want to make a, a Nike commercial. I don't want any of the tennis to feel like, you know, like, like that. I, I, I want it to feel rich. I want it to feel sophisticated. Well, I think be offered a lot of Nike commercials now. <laughs> no, no, I want to do some Nike commercials. I just, so maybe, maybe that's coming next, you know, but, um, but so we did some pre-visualization with the, with the tennis and, and, and really tried to figure out where we wanted to be on the court, like, and, and feel like we were complicit in the action, but not, not in the way. And then also we had young girls that didn't play tennis. So we were doing a lot of cheating with our, with our lead actors because they could. So as far as the tennis, there was a lot of technical things that went into that. Um, that's well, just, all, that's let's let's speak to that for a second, because you ventured into it and we'll go back to the Robert and the so, so our, our actors, Sanaya Sidney, Demi Singleton, actually trained for three to five months each on movement. So how to run up and down, basically, how to, and, 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 and form, how to hold, you know, do a backhand, how to do a forehand, but without the ball. So there was no ball in their training. It was literally like, let's get the form right, take the ball out. So most of what you see in the film uh, with them are digital balls. So if they're swinging, it's a digital ball. Uh, we have body doubles, uh, three sets of body doubles in the film. So, and the reason for that is that I wanted to show a progression of their tennis. So we found young girls to play when they were young. We found sort of juniors to play when they were juniors. And then we found sort of pros to play when they were, you know, uh, you know, just like the you know, final game. And so, and, and and that actually, we thought we were going to have one set of doubles for the whole time. And I think what we, once we started shooting, I realized like, I need more power. I need to serve here. I need this to feel like, whoa. And so we needed another set of girls. And, and that's kind of, you know, it happened by, by trial and error a little bit. Um, and yeah, I think once we figured out, you know, a little bit of the language of, of the tennis, um, you know, I think it became a little, a little easier to construct. I think the hardest parts were, um, were figuring out how much tennis do you need to tell this story, especially with regards to sort of the final matches. And so we, you know, at some point it was a point by point and we were tracking the game and it was, it was, it, you know, it was really methodical and we had, you know, back and forth and we realized like we probably didn't need, half of the tennis that we shot we needed more reaction shots we needed more family shots we needed more that's what we really needed that you shot but you shot them and you then decided in the edit right exactly exactly so so would you face replace some of the would you do some digital face replacement or anything like that yes we use we use face replacement um all throughout the film um Mm. with all of our doubles okay 
I, you know, quite frankly, like it's well done, really well done. Yeah, you hopefully can't see it. <laughs> seamless, seamless. Yeah. I think it's seamless, and I think uh, and you do feel that surge. Actually, it's, it's great when you it's felt but not noticed. I did feel like I wouldn't have been able to say that, but once you said they feel the surge, you do feel it's more powerful once it's like the final games. It's like something's gone up a notch, and she's ready. Exactly, she's ready. So, like back to the blocking with Robert. Would you so say let's say the house for instance wins win was like it's too small so did you build the house in the interior of the house is it a build when you're so in no, the house found, or you're on location yeah we were on location he found uh he found a slightly larger house and, and one that had the same architectural uh design as the first house or, or the original house but gave us more latitude in, in terms of being able to shoot so like we could take a wall out and put the camera so the wall could could be replaced to the bedroom because that that's the wall to the bedroom as well so we could be on this side and give us a little bit more space um but we still wanted it to feel small and confined but not too small and for me look you know the original house had like graffiti on it and it was pretty run down i mean it was it was bad the content in the 80s was rough but it almost looked fake when you looked at it you know when you see the graffiti on the house it was like it doesn't even if you believe it's it's unbelievable to the point where it, like it almost feels false. So I like in order in, in a lot of ways I, I scaled up. Like the house is a little bigger. It's a little nicer because I didn't want it to be a pity story. Like they didn't pity themselves. You know, you, it still looks humble, but it, it doesn't feel like it's a it's a it's a you know it's it, it's they're in dire straits because I don't think that they were. I think the community and and certain members were, but like. I didn't want it to feel like that. So I, I think it was a, a wise move to move to a, to a larger location, gave us a lot more latitude to, to be able to kind of do that. And, um, and then, yeah. I, was, five, I think it's a wise move. Let's go, let's get to blocking a little bit. Let's just talk, let's talk with Robert. Like, so how would you work? Let's take a scene, like the family scenes. I think the family scenes are wonderfully rendered, you know, rendered. I always get scared when there's more than like three people in a shot. Cause I mean, you know, if you have five, six people, a group in a shot, as we know, it only takes one person to fuck the whole thing up. And it's just like, so the performances are incredible, but like, how would you pick the shots? How would you work with Robert? Well, we had a, you know, the, the beautiful thing about Robert is that he also has a, has a team of, you know, filmmakers, I call them that he's been with for 30 years. So his key grip, and his gaffer are not just key grips and gaffers. They're also storytellers. So when we were talking about how we're going to shoot the van, you know, they gave us a lot of options for how we would shoot the van. Would we be on the biscuit? Is it better to be on a tow rig here? Is it better? So, so in terms of movement and where we can mount the camera and where I can be in relation to the actor. And so, you know, look, I had never even really done car work before. I mean, a little bit in Monsters and Men, it's a hood mount and that's pretty much what you get, a side mount and and, and, and that's it. And all of a sudden I have options to a, a tow rig, a, a biscuit, and what's better for telling well, the story. Well, for those that don't know, a biscuit is like a, a platform the car's on and, and the driver can move, you can move the driver from each corner. So there's four corners. So you can you can place the driver can be driving in the bottom right corner and the, the car's on a low platform, right? And it, it just gives you a lot more angles around the car, right? As, a, yeah. as opposed to a tow rig where you can only shoot in one direction because obviously it's being towed, you can't shoot the direction the car's going. 
Yeah. So, and, and of course, the, you know, these were tools that were now accessible to me in a way that weren't in my in my previous work. And and it it only involves your language, right? Your you, yeah. your language is only as good as your vocabulary. And so all of a sudden, I started having more vocabulary, more access to tools that I I never was able to have before. And so we can talk about that. Um, of course, we talked about movies that did it well inside Lewin Davis, a lot of car work and how well they did it there, where we wanted to be. So there were a lot of conversations about how the how the 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 equipment in some ways can help us best tell that story and. and and OK, but I think, you know, Robert's genius, we can be on certain blocks and, you know, getting stretches of road to be able to tell those stories. And then, of course, how do you put five girls in the van? So we we got the van early and we, we did a lot of rehearsals with the van <laughs> um, and, and we we figured out our camera angles before we got to set. And I think that was that was really, really would, helpful. Would that. you rehearse the girls in the van, the actual girls? Or the, yeah. You see, you do yeah, I was going to ask because it's sort of in, like I want to talk about performances. Do you you perform? You rehearse the, them as a group with these scenes. We totally rehearse. So, like I, you know, in in the first prep, we ca- once we cast all the girls, we did pretty much we did a lot of work with just the girls, you know, together. Um, who was the gentleman that we used on Top Boy? A Scottish guy, Martin Lidwith. Martin Lidwith, amazing. Yeah. And I remember calling, I think I tried to get Martin, but he was busy on something. I tried to get Martin because I thought he was fantastic. And I ended up uh, using a woman named Kim Cunningham, who does a lot of work with uh, with children here. And and I thought, you know, look, my biggest challenge is I don't have enough prep time to become a family, but I need some help because I'm, I'm up at Will's rehearsing and I need I need to also spend time with the girls. So I give Kim a lot of credit doing a lot of behavioral work with the girls. And what I think she did early on in those few sessions that I sat in was give each girl an assignment. Each girl was, you know, a sort of a a definition. So each one had a character to themselves. Um, And they were also playing girls that were younger than themselves. So she worked about, okay, where were you and your eight-year-old self? And she would do a lot like, okay, you're eight. And then she gave me some tools. She was like, hey, Ray, here's your toolbox. When you're on set, you can use these words that will trigger this. So if you say eight, oh, all of a sudden she'll go into her eight-year-old self. If you say 12, she's going to go in. So just remind them of their age, remind them of what's, who's the oldest in the family. Okay. Tundi, you know, and so little, little words that she gave me that would help trigger moments. So every time before I would roll, we would, I would go back to that little toolkit that she gave me. It was almost like a cheat sheet, (laughs) you know, okay, 12. All right. You guys are 12. Tundi, now it's your turn. And, and the girls instantly, I think, remember those moments. And I, and I was able So I remember, look, it, it, it was so grateful to have that experience on Top Boy, to have work with a coach. And I have no ego about that. Look, the best performance is however you can get it. <laughs> like, ultimately, like every every you know quarterback has a quarterback coach. Um, so I'm not, I'm not like, oh, I have to be the one to t-. like, no, I just have to give them the tools to succeed. I need to give them the environment to feel free. And I need to be the, the, the reminder of, of these situations, right? We're in a scene. This is what the scene is about. And I need to guide them through that process to give them shape. And so I think that was part of the early stuff was really getting that behavioral stuff down, really becoming a family. And we were like, it sounds cliche, but we like those girls, like when I called cut, like they were literally still sisters. <laughs> like yeah. they were having a, they were just having a blast and you could see you it. Really, like, you really feel the chemistry. It's incredible. The chemistry was. I, I love what you're saying. It's like you take the you take the best idea wins. And the best idea can come from literally anyone. Like, I, you know, if, if the the driver that day happens to have a good idea on the scene, I'll take it. Right. So, but it's wonderful that that divide and conquer. So she, you leave her with the kids, 
and she they do workshops and come in and just do like targeted rehearsals or exactly just- targeted to rehearsals you know whether it's a scene with uh you know or a scene and and the daughter we would do those we would isolate we'd do breakout sessions uh, a lot of stuff with will around the table of course we did you know table reads with the entire cast but i think that the breakout sessions were really the ones where they were the most rele- uh, revelatory in terms of the script development because either I said this or you say this and the words are not working. Let's let's work through that. And I think that was really like such a and, such a and meanwhile. So Zach, Zach's got, and I love this collaboration. So I did something one actually well, like, and talk to a certain extent. So Zach would would he attend some of these workshops? Or Zach, would, Zach, Zach attended almost all of the, the script reading. So he'd hear what's working, what's not adjusting. Yeah. And, and and then he could say, OK, like the, the, we're not responding to this. We're not responding to that. Let me let me give a crack at it. And so, you know, that was really helpful to have him there. Um, yeah, look, he was great. He was great to work with. You know, no ego. Um, it, it, it helps. It helps when you have collaborators like that. So, Will, like, <laughs> you know, you've probably given him his Oscar, haven't you? Um, I don't know, that's, man. <laughs> that's not jinx it. Inshallah. So, yeah. like. He's just perfectly pitched, you know, and he's not always perfectly pitched. So I'd love to know. It definitely feels like he was directed, and I've seen it many times where it doesn't feel like he's necessarily directed. I'd love to know how you how you work with him, and how you avoided in some ways the pursuit of happiness version. Yeah, well, I think you know very early on. You know, I think the biggest decision, one of the biggest decisions I think in the in the whole film was was the prosthetics of the movie. Um, and I remember when we first started, you know, the the Warner Brothers did a full prosthetics test, and and Will's hair and makeup team did a full prosthetics, and and they made him look like Richard Williams, and it was like it was shocking. It was like wow, like you can literally like make another human being look like another human being. But I was like. I can't do this. Like we cannot make Will Smith look like Richard Williams. Something doesn't feel right. And although they were, you know, there were members of the, of the clergy, so to speak, that were, that were really pushing for that, you know, pushing for a full disappearance. I said, look, it's not pertinent to the story that we changed Will Smith to make him look like, like Richard Williams. So we scaled down, um, we scaled down to what you see in the movie. And I really pushed for that because I think, it it was the least distracting version of Will, but it still allowed right. Will to disappear. Right, but that's interesting. Some members of the clergy who put it, love, love that term. I'll have a bit of that next time. Uh, <laughs> taking it, nicking it. Did you did they were they pushing it because they were really worried about the Will Smith of it all clouding, or what was what was their motives for that? I don't know. I don't know the answer. I think everybody has different motives. You know, hair and makeup get, you know, might have their own intentions for for what it looks like to have a full. And look, rightfully so. That's their job to fight for that. And and I think I think it was a conversation early on. I never felt like, you know, you know, my hand was forced, but I certainly spoke up and was very opinionated about why I felt that, you know, we didn't need to take it that far. Um, And so we pared down. I thought the teeth. You know, there's 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 mild prosthetics. You know, there's you know there's something in his brow. This, but it's it's subtle. And then the and then the mask away. We took the mask away exactly, and that was enough. He was already doing the draw and the and you know the the language and sort of fine tuning what that was going to be because the real Richard Williams is is at times like incomprehensible. You can't understand some of the things he was saying. So we needed to hear him, and and Will had to find his own version of that. 
And I think like what we settled on, I really started to respond to. And, and, and I think Will, look, Will has eyes as well. He also could see himself in the mirror. And I think he understood, you know, look, going full prosthetics would also be what, three hours in the chair every day. You, you know, it's a long time, you know, away from set and, and, yeah. and taking away from. Oh, it's a nightmare. But like, but let's get back to what, because it's the first, you know, we're kind of similar in a way. It's like that, like my last one, I worked with Matthew and, you know, people come with baggage and Will came, comes with baggage, let's face it. And you got him to be quite transformative without getting gossipy about it. How did you approach it? And um, how did you steer him to, did you steer him towards or was he making the right decisions or? Would he, did you let him have a couple of takes before you steered him? Was it rehearsed? Yeah, so we did, a lot of, we, did a, we did a lot of rehearsal, which was great. Um, and I think that was really helpful to kind of see to see that. Um, but Will, like Will is someone that is completely like, what do you want? He wants to be directed. There are some people that are like, want to direct themselves. Like Will wants to be directed. Tell me where to go. There's like, he is very prepped and very planned, but like, is ve- like, if you have your stuff together, he's not questioning it. It's when things are ever in question, like it doesn't feel like you quite know what you're like, you're unsure. Like, like those are the times that he would feel like I'm not on shore ground here, but if the world was set and the things were set and he felt like every, like he could like a, a basketball player going to play and everything's where it's supposed to be. The balls are there and the hoops there for me to go and, run around and be free cool so when things didn't feel like they were quite in right place would would, would be the times what, that what does that mean on a practical level how's that but like how, what do you what did you need to do to make him feel safe so that he was pliable for you well i think the first one is casting right right the biggest decisions that we made were were giving him you people know opposite him. people opposite him right and that was a big one for me right like Anjanu Ellis, it makes it a lot, makes my job easier when there's real players that could, can pass the ball back and forth with each other. If the ball is dropping every minute, it makes it hard to get the, get the engine room. Everybody we had just turned out to be great. I mean, John Bernthal, Anjanu Ellis. The John girl. what an inspired bit of casting. I always think of him as like the, he gets typecast as the tough guy all the time. Completely typecast. And actually when he came to the meeting with me, he rolled up with a hoodie and a and a pit bull a pit bull in the front seat, and I was like, I love this guy. It was great. It was great. And and somehow, look, by the end of that conversation, he won me over. I was like, man, John Bernthal. And that week, I saw him in Ford versus Ferrari, and I said, you know what, this guy can do it. He can do he was it. Bri- he is brilliant in it. But Anjanu, let's talk about the women in this film a bit because it is it's about reacting, isn't it? And Will is at his best, I think, in this film, where you know Anjanu gives it back to him. You know, you get some of the best reactions. How she has some game, right? Like uh, Anjanu is is like she's the truth. I mean, it, she's the truth. She is, and and look, she didn't have a lot of real estate in the script to work with, and she completely maximized every scene that she was in. She added a layer of dimension. And look, like there's there's only some people just have it. Anjanu has it, and and she challenged every line. She challenged every detail into to who her character was and what but in the best way it was all for the best intention of the movie she's selfless um she would have lots of conversations she would try to you know almost submit pages to zach like hey what do you think about this and zach was like let me put it in my words but you know it was it was great they they you know she really was thoughtful about you know about the role that she played and she 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 created definition in in a character that that 
quite frankly, didn't have it. Um, yeah. she, she really it's gave because, Yeah, it'd be so easy because it's beautifully, I thought Pamela, you and Pamela Martin did a beautiful job with the edit because you think that so many quiet moments are really well observed. Like Pamela, beautiful edit. Yeah. Uh, wonderful editor. Why did you choose Pamela? Oh, we've, we've covered that. She was one of your mentors in the lab. But, but she had done two movies. She did two movies that I thought were, were great comparable movies for this film. The Fighter and yeah. Little Miss Sunshine. Little Miss Sunshine because of that bus and yeah. because she really, like every character in that movie is a character. So every person in that VW van is a character. And the van itself is a character. And I really, I thought that was not only a construction of the script, but a construction of, of, of an edit. And I thought she would be really great. And then the fighter, she cut the fighter, you know, obviously, you know, Christian Bale and, and these stars, but I thought it was, it was energetic. And actually I stole one shot where it was, you know, where, where Christian Bale's character is sitting on the couch with this whole family member. And I was like, Oh, why don't we put the entire William family on one side of the couch? And uh, you know, you have Rick Macy the other, and it just, it just, it, those were the vibes I was going for. Um, and, and both, you know, look, Pam and Robert both have a, have a dry sense of humor. And so our, fin- our movie is funnier, I think, because, yeah. of bo- because of both of them naturally. You are an extension of your films and, and, your, and your crew and your cast are an extension of the film. And I think you can feel that dry sense of humor a lot. You can feel those moments of levity because of the, the people that help to make the movie. Yeah, I, 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 you know, that makes sense. I think the pitch is pitched perfectly. The tone, it's just, it's just the right amount of sugar for me. You know, you feel it. I, I cried. I like a kind of, and I feel like, like you say, it's got the right amount of humor, and it doesn't. It, it definitely isn't. Never falls back from being saccharine, and it does. It's cinematic. It's wonderfully cinematic. Um, you have made a hit, and uh, certainly a hit as far as I'm concerned. It's a beautiful film. It's not easy to make that kind of movie. You nailed it. And it couldn't happen to a nicer guy. So I'm rooting for you, bro. Right? Okay, thank you, my brother. Thank you so much. This podcast was recorded at a Directors UK member event. You can hear more episodes of the Directors UK podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, or your favourite podcatcher. Directors UK is a professional association for film and TV directors with over 7,500 members. Find out more about us at directors.uk.com.